welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And this is the first episode of 2022. Happy New Year! (laughs) (laughs) That's so weird. (laughs) Yes, it is kind of weird. It is. My relationship to time has disintegrated yes in the past two years <laughs> and the fact that it's not like september feels incorrect but a whole season has passed and we are firmly in winter and it's a new year and just on a housekeeping note before we jump into the episode we didn't have an episode last week and we're not going to have an episode next week because we're just like catching up from the holidays but then we'll be back to every week starting the 18th So this is part two of Yarn Detectives. All right. So because it was two weeks ago, when might you find unlabeled yarn? Set the scene for us. Are you asking me why we need to be yarn detectives? Yes. Can we make it be a dark and stormy night and you're fishing around in your stash and out pops... An unlabeled ball of yarn? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's probably happened. So what do we do? That's definitely happened. Mm -hmm. So in part one of Yarn Detectives, we helped you identify your most pressing information for this skein of yarn. We helped you figure out what weight the yarn is. So is it a DK weight? Is it fingering weight? Is it a super bulky? Who knows? You know, because you've got the tools to figure that out now. (laughs) And we also helped you figure out your yardage, either with a very educated guess through a series of weights and calculations, or by using a yardage meter, which is way more (laughs) accurate. We saved that for last. So in part two of Yarn Detectives, we're really digging deep here, friends, because this information is maybe not essential to you using your yarn. But boy, is it interesting. (laughs) So we're going to be figuring out how to identify mystery fibers today. Mm -hmm. What is that yarn? It is interesting to me how difficult it is to figure this out. Because we spend a lot of time like, oh, maybe I want merino. Maybe I want yak. Maybe I want acrylic. Maybe I want bamboo. As soon as the ball band is gone, you're like, well, got some yarn. Yeah, impossible to say. (laughs) Maybe not impossible, but (laughs) quizzical face. It's going to take some thinking and experimenting if you really care to find out. You could go the route of not finding out, just knitting a swatch. Knitting a swatch. And seeing if you like the fabric that it creates and then rolling with it. But maybe you do really want to know like what your material is. Maybe you're knitting a gift and your recipient has a fill-in-the-blank allergy and you're hoping you can identify some sort of fiber. Or maybe it's just because you're a total yarn nerd, like (laughs) so many of us are, and you just want to get all of the information that you can. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're just trying to figure out what it's going to do in the different ways that you could block it. Or care for it, like long-term. Right. Can it go in the washing machine? Should it? (laughs) roll the dice that's right adventure knitting so in the first episode we covered some circumstances where you might have this unlabeled yarn so many different scenarios lead you to unlabeled yarn in this knitter life that we have all chosen 
So today, we are going to don a combination of our investigator hats. And for those of you who remember the 80s, our Mr. <laughs> Wizard sweaters. Remember Mr. Wizard? Oh, I love Who Mr. did Wizard. like the science experiments with kids. It was like a Nickelodeon show. Anyways, sure. he always wore pullovers, like wool sweaters. Sounds logical, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, that's wrong. Wrong. It's a full outfit. It's a look. <laughs> it's a look. So there are four families of tests that you can conduct to identify fiber content, and we are going to walk you through them. It's a journey. It's an experience of discovery we're about to take you on. And just to be clear, what you're going to be able to figure out isn't, is this Cormo or is it Corridale? You're going to be able to figure out, is this plastic or is it wool? <laughs> yes. So we're talking broad strokes here, friends. Protein fiber, cellulose, synthetic. So you're going to need some pieces of yarn to conduct these experiments. <laughs> so hopefully you don't suspect that this is a precious skein of kiviot and you don't want to spare an inch. In that circumstance, just pretend that it is and save the yarn. <laughs> right. I think if you are questioning whether something is kiviot, just assume that it's kiviot. Treat it like it's kiviot, and you will not be sad. Mm -hmm. But you're definitely going to need to snip a couple of feet off of this mystery skein, or skeins, as it were. Also, you're going to want to be ready to take some notes, because, like I said, this is a journey. So you're going to need to record this information, lest you find yourself in the same situation that you began this process in. <laughs> right. I have a pile of ash, and I have no <laughs> idea what this means. Often when I have a work in progress it ends in a pile of ash, so it's fine. Ah! <laughs> so these tests are varying degrees of helpful. This is a journey for you, and we make no claims that you will be able to precisely pinpoint your fiber content, but you're going to have a good general idea of how this fiber is going to behave for you. So the first kind of test that we can do is kind of the least reliable test. It is the smell test. Which is kind of hilarious. Really, your ability to identify any particular smell is going to depend on whether you've smelled it before. It's really hard to describe a smell to somebody. Sure. So let's talk about how we're going to do this and then what some of your results may be. Yes. So in order to conduct the smell test, you are going to take some samples of yarn. It doesn't need to be like half the skein or anything. Like I said, just like a foot of your yarn. And you're going to soak it in a bowl of hot water. You don't have to boil the water. Let your tap run till it's hot. And that's fine. It should be plenty warm. And you're going to let it soak for a few minutes until the fiber is saturated. The next step in this process is to smell the yarn. <laughs> right? It feels ridiculous. Right. So first you've applied hot water in order to like release the smell. And then you have to experience the smell. Yeah, you smell the smell. <laughs> So for animal fibers, this may sound obvious, but maybe not. Right. Your yarn, if it's wool, may smell like a wet sheep. Yes. Oh, very much. Or some other wet animal. For this one, I feel pretty confident saying that even if you've never smelled a wet sheep before, if you've ever interacted with a wet mammal, like a not human mammal, <laughs> like a mammal with more hair than we have, this smell will be like, oh, it has like a sweet hay smell to it. A bit of the barn about it. <laughs> right. Yes. And if you don't have any barn schema, this might be hard for you to identify, but I feel like you might also make an educated guess. 
if you are near a yarn shop, it is entirely possible that you could walk into that shop and tell the owner, I need to know what sheepy yarn smells like. And they'll be like, oh, yes, because we all know which boxes smell like sheep when we open them. Right. And sometimes your yarn shop on like a humid, warm day might smell a little sheepy. Oh, like, yeah. That's a common experience. Now, not all animals are mammals, but some produce fiber anyways. <laughs> and I'm thinking specifically of silk, which comes from silkworms. Silk, in my human experience, has a very particular smell. Right. So Jessica and I had a long talk about this before we started recording this episode. And she just kept saying, oh, it has a really particular smell. And I was like, what particular smell? It's really hard to describe a smell. Mm -hmm. And all of her explanations were tied to like previous experiences that she has had. Like memories. Right. So we're going to let her describe it. And then I'm going to tell you how I think I will recognize it. Sure. So wet silk might have like an earthy smell. And when I say earthy, I mean smells like soil. Or it might also have a fishy smell. And part of the difference, I think, is how the fiber is processed. Because that's true of fabric as well. Raw silk versus a shantung or a noil, they have different smells because of the different processing. Are those different types of silk? Yes. Okay. Yep, different types of silk. So earthy or fishy may be coming off of your silk. So I think I will recognize this because I will encounter a silk blend yarn or a straight silk yarn, and I will think it smells, it has like an animal smell to it, but it won't be identifiable as like barnyard to me. Oh, yeah. It'll be like that thing that happens to Jessica way more than it happens to me when she's out in the yard at night and she like smells a deer <laughs> and then turns around and there's a deer like four feet behind her. <laughs> that but with your face in a skein of yarn. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's move on to our next fiber type. Yes. Which are synthetic fibers. And when we're talking about synthetic fibers today, we're using this as an umbrella term. It may be acrylic yarn. It may be polyester, technically. And a lot of times you don't have that specific chemical composition information on a ball band, and it might just say acrylic or something else. But synthetic is the umbrella family of those non-animal, non-plant fibers. So for the smell test, what do we find, Karen? So there's not going to be like a strong smell to synthetic fibers, mm -mm. which doesn't really help you if you're trying to identify a blend. If it's like maybe wool and nylon or something like that. But like if you think about the yarn aisle at Joann's or Michael's, it's not a particularly sheepy experience. There may be a little bit of like an artificial smell to it. I don't even really want to say artificial, like just not nature smell. Sure. The somehow polar opposite of a pile of leaves. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Or it might smell a little bit oily, depending on what the process is and what the everything is. Mm -hmm. Now, if your fiber happens to be a plant fiber, that is also not really going to have a smell. So like we said, this is generally helpful in categories. You're not necessarily always going to be able to identify what something is, but you will be able to say that's not sheepy. Right. It smells like nothing. I almost feel like this is like one of those logic puzzles that you did in elementary school or middle school where there were all the grids and it was like, Sam doesn't like cake and the person who likes brownies is wearing a green sweater and you have to figure out what color sweater everyone's wearing mm -hmm. where you're like just eliminating possibilities. So like you smell your yarn, you say there's no smell to it. Okay, it's not an animal fiber of any kind. 
And then we're moving on to the next test to try to figure out what it might be. Yes. Are we ready? Let's do it. This is where it gets more fun and a little bit more reliable. And you know what? This next test, I don't know why this never occurred to me, but it feels (laughs) so obvious. So the next test you can do to determine what family of fiber your yarn falls into is a felting test. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, you can try to spit splice that yarn like you've got a foot of yarn in front of you. Spit splice the ends and try to make a circle. And that's going to give you some very specific information. If you don't know what spit splicing is, sometimes called wet felting, and it's a way that people will join yarn mid-project, you take two ends of your yarn, in this case with your sample, it's going to be just one continuous piece, and you kind of fray the ends so that the plies come apart, if it's not a single-ply yarn. Right. (laughs) And then you're going to get those ends wet. Some people will spritz a little water gently, and that's how they get their yarn wet. Other people might just spit into the palm of their hand. I'm a palm spitter. Me too. For sure. But during COVID, I started to realize that's not a particularly pandemic-friendly method. No. And so what I do is I just take my water bottle and I pour it into my hand, and that is (laughs) COVID-friendly, but really wet. (laughs) Incredibly messy. It's very on-brand for Karen. (laughs) So now that you have wet ends of yarn, if you're at home, you can spit in your hand and then go wash your hands or, you know, your water or whatever you're using. And then you overlay those frayed ends in the palm of your hand. So the frayed ends are overlapping each other. And then you just vigorously rub your hands together. And if your yarn is feltable, they will join into one piece. So animal fibers, wool, alpaca, angora, and yak, like other animal fibers too, will felt when you do this. Unless, unless they have been superwash treated. Right. So if they felt, you know that you have some sort of animal fiber that is an untreated wool. Once you do that too, you want to like tug on it because I have definitely tried to spit splice something and it like doesn't take. I didn't felt vigorously enough, but I thought it had taken for a little bit. So, like, pull on it just to be sure it's not somehow faking you out. Like you used spit and also had a Coke recently or something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, little tug. You don't have to be the Hulk about it, but see if you can easily separate. Yes. Other animal, silk. Silk will also felt. Oh, sure. But your synthetic fibers, not going to felt, and your plant fibers won't felt. So this will help you if it's like a homogenous fiber that you're working with or a homogenous yarn. If it felt, there could still be some nylon mixed in with your merino or whatever, but you're going to find that out in the next step. Are we ready for the chemicals? Okay, friends, here's where we get dangerous. (laughs) And here's where we make our make good disclaimer. In the chemical testing phase, you need to be very careful. Please don't breathe in any chemical fumes. (laughs) Avoid contact with your skin and other services. Don't touch your eyes. Ugh. Like, seriously, be careful, because we're about to talk about bleach and acetone nail polish remover. You know what else not to do? Don't wear your nice hand-knit sweaters while you do this. Please don't. Because it may protect your skin, but you will still be sad. Yeah, if you get a little splash. (laughs) Mm -mm. So the chemical test. 
is going to give you an additional layer of information about your fiber. This is not as fast. You need a little bit of time, like for the smell test, pretty immediate. (laughs) The felting test, super quick. The bleach test, you need maybe about two days to really let the chemical take effect on the fiber. So you're going to need a glass container with a lid. It doesn't need to be big. You can use a jelly jar, but just something that you can close and is like a non-reactive container. You're going to need your yarn sample and just a little bit of bleach. Like, don't fill the jelly jar. Right. Yeah. It's just enough to like interact with the fiber. You don't need to fill it to the brim or anything close to the brim. Like a quarter of an inch in the bottom of the container, just enough to get the yarn wet. You'll drop your yarn in. You're going to give the container a little swirl after you have securely attached the lid so that the bleach gets on all sides of the yarn. Because, you know, when you drop yarn in water, it'll float a little bit. It's not sinking like a rock. It doesn't need to be submerged. It just needs to come in contact. And then here's where your note taking will come in handy. You're going to check this about every 12 hours or so to observe. So you might want to make a little note in your new science notebook. (laughs) Okay, so if it is an animal fiber, it's going to dissolve in the bleach. If it's like a non-silk animal fiber, it's going to dissolve usually within one day, so 12 to 24 hours. And if it is silk, it will dissolve in about two days. So if you get to the end of the first day and it's still just kind of living its life in there, it's not going to be wool. And then if you get to the end of the second day and it doesn't look like it's changed in structure at all, then you're going to be looking for a synthetic or a plant fiber, which may bleach. Like it may lose its color, but it's not like the actual fibers aren't going to go anywhere after two days and a cup of bleach. Yeah, animal fibers will fizz. And that's the process of the chemicals actually breaking down the proteins Oh, in the animal fiber. Which is why you don't want it on your skin. Yeah, it's bad news. <laughs> like, we mean it when we said be careful. And so that will help you a lot if you maybe have a blend because you'll be able to see that like some of it is dissolving or fizzing and some of it isn't. Mm-hmm. And then your little light bulb goes off and you go, oh. Aha. Sometimes they put nylon in superwash merino. Now, your other chemical option is acetone, which is nail polish remover. You're going to follow the same steps as you did with the bleach, with your small covered container and just a small amount of your chemical. This is a very narrow test. It's only really giving you information about a specific fiber, but it's a test you can do, so we thought we'd include it. Acetone will not really react with other fibers. Can I take you on a tiny sidebar for a second? Absolutely. Because it will react with lots of other things, though, that are not fibers. Oh, yeah. So when we're mentioning be careful, please don't do this on your coffee table. That's wood (laughs) that you love. Because I have a very, very clear memory of a time in my youth when I (laughs) thought it was okay to take my nail polish off on my mother's beautiful little pie crust shaped side table Ah. in our living room. And I put my acetone-soaked cotton balls down on that table. No! And I ate the finish off that table. Oh! And that was the last time I ever took my nail polish off in that living room. Yeah. So, glass container, maybe do it in your kitchen sink or the bathroom sink, but somewhere where you've got a not-precious surface to work on because acetone's bad news. Outside on a rock? That's a good place for it, actually, (laughs) because it's well-ventilated. That's right. (laughs) Which is also key to working with chemicals. 
So acetone will dissolve acetate yarns. That makes sense. It does make sense. And yet it will still feel mysterious because (laughs) at some point, if you ever had the ball band for that yarn, it probably didn't say acetate yarn on the ball band. No. It probably said acrylic because acrylic, while it sometimes means a very specific thing, also sometimes is used as a general umbrella term in the world of synthetics. Yes. So it will tell you very specifically if your yarn is acetate, but not necessarily if it's rayon. Right. That makes sense. Kind of a weird niche experiment, but we're Mr. Wizarding, so it's fine. Sounds logical, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think I've talked about this before. The time that we had a yarn in the shop that was like a merino polyamide blend, and I was like, I am going to figure out the difference between nylon and polyamide. And I was like the gif of the red yarn everywhere. Like, I was <laughs> I was going to figure it out. I don't have a ton of science-specific education, so there are probably like lots and lots of people understand this, and I'm just not one of them. And I came to the conclusion that it was functionally the same thing. With some like applications that are important in like different contexts, like if you're making a parachute, but for the context of yarn, it's going to be the same. Like it's all synthetic umbrella. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Nothing about acetone is going to tell me whether it's polyamide or nylon or polyester or polyester or mm, it's who a even mystery. knows. Okay, we have arrived at Adventure Time, friends, because it is time to unite your yarn. With fire. We have moved on to the burn test. Maybe we should do this part outside. And this is one where the chemicals were optional to do outside. I would like to encourage everyone very strongly to just make that decision from the beginning of this test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you are going to burn your yarn and you're going to see what happens when you set your yarn on fire. And depending on what happens, you will have some more information about what your fiber might be. Get your pencils ready. (laughs) Gonna make some notes. Just to chime in again with more safety information, if you're burning outside, please check your local conditions first (laughs) or like burn in a metal bin or something. Like seriously, be very safe. If you have dry leaves or high winds or anything excessively flammable, don't do it there. If you have like a fire pit or a grill in your backyard, like a contained unit where you can do your very small piece of burning, just be safe. If we ever see a news story about a tragic knitter fire, <laughs> yes, we're going to know it's our fault. Yeah, I'll never sleep again. <laughs> so please be safe, friends. So animal fibers. Animal fibers are going to burn slowly and they're not going to melt. They're going to actually curl away from the flame, which is very cool. And then depending on what color the flame is, you might know whether it's wool or silk. Because wool is going to be orange and silk is going to be charred. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wish it was like purple or something, but it's char. (laughs) Char. So I think sometimes you might hear like wool is flame retardant. It's hard to burn wool. And I think it's particularly hard to burn wool the less processed it is. Like if your wool is covered in lanolin, maybe that helps stop the fire from really getting to the fiber that wants to eat up. Yes. Everybody probably reached this conclusion on their own already. You are not burning the piece of wool that you just soaked in acetone. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Fresh samples for each of these tests. Thank you, Karen. It just, I I just had had that thought. It It had to, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Safety first, friends. 
So wool, when it burns, it's going to smell like burning hair. You know, if you've ever been either you or in the house with somebody who used their curling iron a little bit too vigorously, that is a familiar smell. It may also smell like burning feathers. Mm -hmm. Silk has a kind of unique smell, kind of like burning hair or kind of like charred meat. Which, yeah, sounds totally unappealing, but it's a smell that you may be familiar with. I guess that makes sense because... It's protein. Silk is animal protein, yeah. Mm -hmm. Huh. Things you haven't thought about before. (laughs) So silk and other animal fibers, so we're talking wool and alpaca and angora and the whole gamut, they're going to catch fire and then they're going to like smolder. So you're not going to get big exciting flames out of these fibers. They're going to smolder and burn out on their own. And once they do, they're going to leave a small, brittle black bead a bead. This sounds crazy, but it's yep. it's like like it sounds like a wild thing, but here we are. And you're going to be able to smash it into a gritty black powder. That kind of sounds fun. It, it sure the heck is. <laughs> so by contrast, plant-based fibers are going to burn fast and they're going to be smoky. Please don't breathe in the smoke. Right, right. Instead of like a black bead, they're going to leave behind kind of light-colored ash. Again, you can kind of tell, or you might be able to tell, what kind of plant fiber it is based on the color of the flame, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So cotton is going to emit a yellow flame, whereas something like hemp or jute has a very bright flame, like bright white. There are also smell differences. Like I said, don't directly breathe in the smoke, but you'll, (laughs) you'll have the experience being out there. So cotton and rayon are going to smell like wood, like burning wood, wood fires, which many people are familiar with that smell. And then cotton is going to leave a fine kind of feathery gray ash. Linen, on the other hand, and hemp and jute, which are like tougher fibers than cotton are, are going to retain the shape of the actual yarn. So like your little soft pile will be cotton. And the weird ash yarn is going to be these other fibers. <laughs> it's like something out of Stranger Things. Like the... It's your yarn in the upside yeah, down. Yeah, right. It's the yarn you'd get in the upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Synthetic fibers, by contrast, they burn quickly. They give off like a strong black smoke. Definitely breathe them the least of all the things you're not breathing. And they're going to seem like they're burning, but really what they're doing is melting. And they're going to keep melting even after you put the flame out. So don't pick them up with your bare hand while they're still hot. Right. With the natural fibers that are like ash at the end, you'll be able to see if there's any smoldering bits left. And then it will just be gray. And because it's such a small sample, cool to the touch. The synthetic fibers are going to retain the heat for much longer because it is melted plastic, essentially. So careful, careful, friends. Don't burn those precious fingers you need them to knit with. (laughs) So hopefully you've been taking notes. And I don't mean notes on all of this. We can add this information to the show notes so you can just quick reference on your phone. Oh, yeah. Or whatever device you use to check the show notes. But hopefully you've been taking notes in your fancy little science notebook so you can gather your data, reference this information, and have a pretty good idea of what your mystery yarn is. Yeah, it's kind of process of elimination, so maybe you'll be able to get to a conclusion. Maybe it will still be mystery yarn, but you will have had a lot of fun getting there. Mm-hmm. Detectives. <laughs> 
I guess one of the, I'm going to say silver linings of COVID is that everybody has masks right now. Yes. So you have a mask you can wear while you do this. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea. (laughs) Get out your safety goggles too. Oh, yeah. Maybe some gloves. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) This is so fun. Maybe we will have to, in the future, think of some other way for us to be yarn detectives about something else. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what that would be, but we will. There are lots of mysteries. So many mysteries. (laughs) (laughs) So what's on your needles, Jessica? I am still working on the Felix cardigan. I'm hoping that I'm not working on it for much longer, but it's really fantastic. If you've heard me talking about this in past episodes, you will know that I'm knitting this for my 10-year-old and that I went off book and am working with different weight of yarn and different needle sizes and knitting an adult pattern for a kid. So it's an adventure. But it's looking really beautiful. She picked excellent colors for me to be holding together. And it's just like, it's fun. It's visually appealing. I'll post some pictures somewhere when I get it finished. I'll see if I can get her to model it for me. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to (laughs) happen. What's on your needles? I picked my Gresham wrap back up. So good. I'm not knitting any socks right now. I am working on my Gresham wrap. And it's pretty exciting. I'm still in the like second big skein in the middle, and I'm really looking forward to the colors on the end. It'll go so fast when you get back to the rainbow striping. Oh, yeah. The rainbow striping went really fast the first time. And I'm really glad like it's the opposite of Sleeve Island, I think. like I have that to look forward to. And once I get there, it's just going to fly. Magical. So good. (laughs) I can't wait to see it. Are you ready for a letter? Mm -hmm. I feel like it's been a while since I've answered one, but I think I'm ready. (laughs) So this week's letter comes from Natalie. Hi, Natalie. I have a question about how drastically you should change your needle size in order to obtain gauge. I am currently knitting a pair of socks on size one needles. I did not swatch. This is my lesson. I'm sorry, Natalie. (laughs) And my gauge is too small. The designer calls for eight stitches to the inch and I have 10 stitches to the inch. I'm going to finish these socks as is and find a home for them. But if my gauge is too small when I swatch for my next pair, how do I know how big of a jump in needle size to make? Should I only go up a half size to size 1.5 needles since I'm only two stitches off? That's an excellent question. Okay, Natalie. Before I jump into talking about how quickly you should adjust your needle size, just for reference, being off by two stitches over the span of an inch doesn't sound like a lot, but can make a significant difference in the outcome of your project, which I think you're finding out with these socks that you're going to have to find a different person for. So if you're supposed to be getting eight stitches per inch and you're getting 10 stitches per inch, we're going to make up numbers here for the sake of reference. And if you've got 64 stitches at gauge, that would have given you an eight inch circumference. But with 10 stitches per inch, that will give you just under six and a half inches circumference. So those two stitches within each inch make a big difference pretty quickly over a span of knitting. And I think that when you're swatching for projects, you have to be ready to do it more than once if you aren't getting gauge. Oh, oh, oh. 
So I just made a wild face. She did. Karen when she looked said like that. she swallowed her tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no way am I swatching to get like an average. But that makes sense. If you're changing your needle sizes. Yes. If you swatch with the needle size that the designer tells you to use and your number is off, I would be inclined to not jump multiple needle sizes unless you're like hugely dramatically off and just go up one. Like for a sock. I think I would go up the half size, like I would go up incrementally to whatever is the next size up from the one I'm currently using instead of jumping up to like a two from a one, because at the two, you might be getting too few stitches across the inch, like that might boop you over to seven stitches per inch. Now, because I understand reality versus (laughs) rules, I'm not saying that you need to be knitting like an entire four by four inch swatch to get this information because I think that you'll identify pretty quickly if it's not making a big enough difference, but you need to do a little bit of knitting. And if it's wrong, then you boop up to the size two needles. (laughs) Yeah. So that's my answer. Take it one needle size at a time and transition until you get to where you need to be. Well, and I think the good news is once you found it once, that's where you start swatching the next time. So if this time you do end up, you knit a swatch with the one and a half, so it's not enough, you go up to the two and there that's your sweet spot. Great. So next time your first swatch is with a two and you can adjust from there. If maybe you're knitting particularly tight because you didn't mention if this was your first pair of socks, but maybe you're like really nervous about them or something. And so you're knitting really tight. There are things that will change your gauge over time. But wherever you were most recently is where to start trying to figure out where you are now. Mm -hmm. I think that sounds right. Good luck with your socks, Natalie. (laughs) Good luck with your swatching for your next pair. Your recipient's very lucky. Speaking of socks, what about the knit-along we just finished? It was so good, y'all. It was so good. It was an overwhelming number of socks, which is, like, fantastic. (laughs) You inspire us. You overwhelm us with the speed at which you knit socks. A lot of you, like, there were a number of people who knit so many socks. It was stunning. It was a thing to behold. I was just about to say some of you are machines, but I am pretty sure some of you knit faster than knitting machines. I'm not sure how you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) It's because they're just so amped up about socks. They (laughs) love having cozy feet. Yeah, it's winter. People's feet are cold. Seriously, I'm so cold, like, (laughs) right now while we're talking. Frozen. You should probably knit yourself a shawl. Yeah, I'm wearing zero hand knits at the moment, so that's probably the problem. She's sitting next to her cinnabar, ignoring it, and it is sad. (sighs) (laughs) Put it in my lap like a blanket. But our next knit-along is going to be announced at the end of January. Yes. We're still working out some details. We thought maybe we would give y'all a little break. Like, have a breather. (laughs) I feel like December hit really hard this year. Instead of us being like, it's January, we're jumping right into a stash diving project. Everybody's jumping right into a stash identifying project so that they're ready when we get the details hammered out for the next knit along to use all of the mystery yarn in their stash. Take a peek. See what you got. Set some fires. You could set some fires. (laughs) Just do it safely. Small localized fires. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we'll be back at the end of the month with details about what the next group project is, and you will have some choices, and you're going to love it, and we're going to be really excited about it. And we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we will not be posting an episode next week, 
But then we'll be back to every week starting on January 18th. I think that might be it for us this week. Sure is. You can listen to the Make Good Podcast anywhere that you get your audio podcasts. Where are you listening right now? That's one place you can get it. (laughs) While you're there, you should subscribe. Also, rate and review us because A, feedback is great. And B, it's how other knitters find us. Can I also say everything you guys write is so sweet. It's so sweet. It makes our day every time. Knitters are nice. You can follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at makegoodpod. (laughs) That's where we do our knit-alongs for the most part. So it's a good place to be. We would like to say a big, warm, woolly, fuzzy thank you to our Patreon supporters. Y'all rock. You help us do this every week without ever needing advertisers, and we love you. We appreciate you. This episode was brought to you by some nail polish remover. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, visit our website if you haven't been there. It's makegoodpod.com, and you can find the show notes there, and you can click on the contact form so you can send us a Dear Scratch question or email us directly at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. Also. On our website, click on the cute little microphone icon and leave us a voicemail. (laughs) We love hearing your voices and we will answer your questions on one of the next episodes. Yeah, we're getting caught up. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.